fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress. And stress is an inevitable factor in your life and in the lives of the people in your organization. A fit, healthy team is an energized, effective team, but it is not enough to just tell your people what to do, you need to show them. If you want your people to have a better quality of life and a more rewarding career, then it is vital that you lead from the front. Your choices, your behaviors are in the spotlight. My name's Jay Unwin, it's time to get fit to lead. Welcome back to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. Today, my guest is the culture guy, Benjamin Jury, and we chat about why having fewer rules means getting better results, the importance of trusting your people, and not having a clue what day of the week it is. Don't forget that on the first Wednesday of every month at 11am UK time, I run a free webinar called Level Up Your People. If you're interested in coming along, then you can head to fitbodyfitmind.online forward slash level up and get yourself registered. Hi, Ben. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Is it afternoon? Is it morning? I've totally I've <laughs> ruined knows, that for you, haven't I? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? This is the beauty of uh, conversational recording, though, Ben. Like, I, uh, I'm not going to edit any of this down unless there's an, uh, a monumental screw up at some point. Otherwise, we can stumble over words all we like and we can not there's, know what day it is, what time of day it is. It doesn't matter. There's time yet, mate. There's time yet for a monumental. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I shall look forward to it. Um, but yes, it is the afternoon. It is the afternoon. How is your, uh, how's, how's your bank holiday weekend been? It's been all right. I actually managed to get some time off to sit down and do very, very little, which as you know, as a, as a business owner, can be quite uh, hard work at times. So I'm pleased with, pleased with the bank holiday. That's good. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, this the, like downtime is so important. And I think it is so common that people, and not just business owners either, because I've seen this happen and I've indeed experienced it myself in employed roles as well, where work just kind of eats into uh the downtime as well when i used to teach i was the same like my weekends used to be taken up by like planning and marking and stuff like that um because there was always something else to do i think that's the thing isn't it when you're quite conscientious if there's more to do you feel like you should be doing it right Absolutely. And t- I teachers, I, you know, got to, hands up to teachers. They are, I'm going to say the worst at it. In, you know, <laughs> they, they work before they're doing work so that they can work at work. And then they bring home work that they weren't able to get done at work. So yeah. it's like, it's constant for teachers because they're so passionate about the job often. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one of those careers which attracts people who actually care about what it is that yeah. they're doing, you know. Um, whereas a lot of people... Uh, I know there's there's other jobs which have less of that kind of inclination absolutely but I think it that's why it ties in with entrepreneurship and and being in business because often again you're doing something that you really care about and uh, you know we're going to talk a lot about culture we're going to talk a lot about kind of leadership and people in these positions in in businesses as well and again even if it's not your own business if you're in a leadership position um you've usually got there because you care about the work that you're doing yeah. And and so it is very easy for that to kind of um, spill over into the the time that we should be uh, resting and relaxing because that's it's so vital for staying well. Um, and with that, with that, I shall ask you the first question that I like to ask everyone at the start, and that is, what does fitness and well being mean to you? That's a that's a great question. There are so many different facets to it, aren't there? But to me, I think it's all about congruence. It's all about 
is what you're doing and the kind of the work you're doing does it line up with your values with what your heart says you should be doing and are you are you able to do it in a way that's consistent with who you are and when you get all those things right and everything's kind of it's what we call flow isn't it when everything kind of lines up life becomes you become fit you know you become fitter because you're you're operating in that space the stress the stress that you do have and not all stress is bad the stress that you do have is driving you to succeed in a good way it's exciting you and you'll you'll be able to find the time to do all the things you need so uh, to me fitness and health is all about congruence are you operating in your in that sweet spot that you really love operating in I really like that and I, I like that you touched on stress there as well because um, that's something which I, I always talk about fitness within the context of stress and that fitness is your ability to cope with and recover from stress whether that's physical fitness being your physical stress you know mental fitness being the mental stress that you're under and your, your ability to cope with that in the yeah, moment absolutely and then recover from it afterwards and um, you mentioned that you mentioned that not all stress is bad what's i mean this is again something i talk about a lot but what's your take on that um in a little bit more detail like you say not all stress is bad some some stress is good um do you care to elaborate on that a little bit more yeah i think there's something really exciting about for example you know if you, i've worked in tech and when you're in tech you're up against the deadline sometimes and there's something really exciting about am i going to make it am i not going to make it and when you do make it actually you know there's elation that you've delivered something spectacular it's, you know it's the same in the gym when you're lifting weights i'm not just lifting the bar with nothing on it i'm putting some pressure on myself i'm and actually what you get out of that is growth you get you move out your comfort zone so there is a level to which actually having Working in a space where you're really not sure whether you're going to be able to do it or not is really good for us. You know, we don't want to be doing that every single day, day in, day out, because it's exhausting. But those moments where you're out of your comfort zone, you're trying something you've never done, you're not sure whether you can do it or not. Those are the exciting moments of life. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think that the the key thing there, like you said, is it's it'd be exhausting if it was all the time. And we need to have this balance because yeah. we've kind of, we've evolved to deal with um, these kind of acute bursts of stress, like you're saying, these these kind of um, environments where you're not sure whether you're going to be able to achieve what it is that you're going to achieve. Because, you know, for a long time throughout kind of uh, human history, if you like, that um, not knowing whether you were going to succeed or not was essentially survival. It was, yeah. you don't know whether you're going to survive or not. Are you going to outrun this predator? You know, are you going to find the food that you need to eat to survive? Are you going to be able to, um, you know, pass on your genes to the next generation? And all of this, it was all very basic, fundamental survival of the species stuff. And um, and obviously survival of the individual as well. And um, And now we need to remember that that kind of that kind of stress is something that we've evolved to cope with whereas the kind of chronic stress which is unending it might be lower level it might be less intense than survival but it's always there and it doesn't um we don't get any respite from it and i think that ties into what we were saying at the start with people allowing their work to creep into this downtime which really needs to be sacred because you know, you were talking about lifting weights and stuff like that. When you lift weights, you don't get stronger at the time, do you? You get stronger in the recovery period afterwards yeah, when you absolutely. when yeah, your yeah. muscles grow back stronger. And it's the same with mental stress. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about, you know, that when we, I talked about congruence, being in the flow, doing th doing things that are in your sweet spot, um, but pushing yourself in that. If you're, if you're in a, if you're in a, um, a job where 
the, the goalposts are constantly moving. You know, it's a toxic environment where your boss is constantly changing what you should be working on and changing the kind of things that are important and the priorities day to day. And you're never sure whether this is the deadline or that's the deadline or I'm, this is important today. That is where the stress becomes just unmanageable on a, you know, on a day-to-day basis because you're just never quite sure what you're aiming at. Whereas when you've got it in front of you, right, this is what we're trying to do. I don't know whether I'm going to get there or not, Actually, that's that's good stress and that's quite exciting. And sometimes we don't make it and we have to sit back and examine what that is and try again. But it's that, you know, the, when everything's moving and, the, you know, we're on shifting sand, that's when the stress becomes really quite damaging. Yeah, yeah, it's the uncertainty, isn't it? And I mean, this yeah. is something which, which has been a really... I mean, uncertainty has been, is always a part of life. There's always uncertainty. None of us know the future. None of us really have a... I'll be honest, none of us really have a clue what's going on um, most of the time, right? We're all winging it, even the people who seem to have it the most together. Um, so there's always uncertainty. But the last kind of, where are we at now? God, 19, 20 months um, have been, uh, I guess, more, not necessarily more uncertain, but the uncertainty has been more obvious. And um, I think that that's kind of brought it to the fore a little bit more. And, and that's what's caused a lot of the stress over the past year, whether that's kind of stress and anxiety around our own health, around the health of our loved ones, you know, hoping that we and the people we care about that are perhaps more vulnerable um, are staying safe and all the rest of it. But also the kind of financial anxieties, business anxieties, um, adjusting from working in the office to working from home. Are we going back to the office? Are the kids going back to school? Are the kids going to be off school again? And all of this uncertainty is what's kind of been the, the, the catalyst and the driver behind the increased levels of worry and stress over the past kind of year and a half plus i think yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned you had to count out the months there for a minute because we've, we've kind of lost track of how long this has been going on yeah. and this is part of the problem you know when we got locked down the first time we're like right okay i can probably get to june july august we'll be fine we'll be back at school in september we'll be back to normal i can cope with that level of unknown mm. But actually, we get to September, you know, we're locked down again before Christmas, just after Christmas. We get, how long is this going to go on? I just, and that is where it starts to become really quite painful, emotionally painful and mentally painful that we really don't know yeah. when this is going to end. That's the really tough part. But yeah, you know, there are bits of life where, okay, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to give it a go. You know, there's one unknown and we'll push through and we'll get there eventually. And six months down the line, we will have an answer. At the moment, we're just like, well, I don't. There's lots of unknowns, and I really don't know when the answer's coming. That is, that's scary. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so. One of the things which has really helped me, um, even right back at the start when we were all like, oh, it'll, like two weeks, <laughs> job done. Um, yeah. You know, when we all thought it was a, a kind of flash in the pan thing. Um, but one of the things which really, really helped me in that adjustment phase uh, back in kind of March, April last year was um, looking at what I could control looking at what I did know and and had the uh, you know the ability to not just predict but kind of write out myself um and so I looked at my daily routine because it had changed you know I my 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 job I was at the time working full-time uh in a gym and obviously the gym's closed and actually prior mm. to the gym's closing I'd um kind of called it a day because of my own I, I've got immune issues and so I had to be like right I need to be careful here so I'd actually bowed out a few days before they they properly locked down yeah. um 
so there again that was me making a decision to take control of of something rather than waiting for that decision to be made for me but also uh as soon as i was just at home all the time i thought right the first thing i need to do is to is to take control of my morning routine have some kind of routine have something which i can get my teeth into and and take control of so that the stuff that i'm not in control of and the stuff that i don't know and all of those kind of uncertainties um aren't 100% of the picture and that gave me a little bit of a feeling of going okay there are there are always things which are within my kind of sphere of influence even if there's a lot of stuff which isn't yeah absolutely and there there is a level to which we've all been kind of in this holding pattern right I'm going to control what I can control and I can live in this space for a little bit while we figure this out you know and that's that's absolutely right. We, we there's certain things we can control, and you know, we're all the same. There does come a point that under stress we start to try and control more, more things. Yeah, you know we've had we've had we've had we've got three kids. They've all been at home for the summer, obviously. So the house gets messy very very quickly. Yeah, completely different to when they're in term time. So when the house gets messy, we start to try and control other stuff because we can't keep on top of the house because there's five people throwing stuff around, and it's just human nature, isn't it, to try and organise and control stuff. Yeah, it is. And I think that it can, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, there's there's things that we can control. And if we're doing it in a kind of, um, uh, I guess, self-aware kind of way, we can, we can um, control the things which are actually beneficial and they're not um, things which are, <laughs> which, which are actually outside our control that we think are inside our control. Because I think that's when, you know, humans are notoriously like you said, it's human nature to try and control things, especially when things are scary. But yeah. we often try and control things which we can't easily do, like other people's decisions, or um, uh, you know, things like, or also things that we're things that we're doing which maybe aren't necessarily uh, as helpful as we think they are. And this is where a lot of people. I'm no expert in eating disorders, for example. So I'm gonna I'm touching on something here which is not within my area of expertise whatsoever. Um, but there, I've got friends who are experts in this area. And one of the things that they, I've talked to them about in the past and that they've educated me on is that often eating disorders come about because people are trying to control things to a very minute degree um, as a coping mechanism for something having happened to them or something ongoing that's happening to them which they can't control. And yeah. it becomes this kind of... Um, I think that, yeah, we need to be... It's good to have uh, to look at, right, what can I control? But also be aware that perhaps it's a coping mechanism for something else yeah absolutely and i don't know i've done about you but do you find yourself every now and again you sit back and go why am i doing this hold on a minute this is about me trying to control somebody else what's going on here yeah you get yourself in these positions and you have to you have to work really hard to recognize when you're starting to try and force people to do stuff or manipulate people because you want control but actually there's nothing you can do you can't like you said you can't control everybody but i find myself I'll sit down of an evening and go, hold on a minute, what was that argument about? Why yeah. on earth was I getting upset about that? And you look back and go, hold on a minute, it's a control thing. Yeah, and it's usually it's usually through fear, isn't it? It's usually through this kind yeah. of thing of um, there's something underlying that that's going on that's making us feel insecure. And yeah. we're trying to regain that security by taking control of something. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, it comes down to the kind of mental health and mental fitness. Yeah, absolutely. When, you, when yeah. you're in the zone, when you're in the flow, when, when you're working in your sweet spot, there's a lot less of that going on. Yeah, you, have, you haven't got the need to do it. No, absolutely. Do you, do you find that, I mean, because, I mean, you work in, um, you work with companies to 
change culture and to improve the way the, these kind of organizations operate and stuff like that. And we're going to go into this in a little bit more detail as well, because I'd love to hear more uh, more detail about what it is you do, how you do it and so on and so forth and, and how that um, links in with fitness and well-being and all the rest of it. Um, but s- sticking with the kind of the stress and the control and all of that stuff, uh, just for... Uh, for the time being do you find that people in positions of leadership often have I mean of course there's a there's a higher level of responsibility in a lot of ways do you find that often translates to um, that that kind of need to keep control of everything Uh, absolutely and this is this is a big chunk of the work that I do trying to teach executives to to pass down autonomy okay not try and control things you'll have seen it actually when it Often, when, certainly with a big organisation, that a lot of the policies and procedures are there to control the two percent of people that just that take the piss. Yeah, yeah. And actually, ninety-eight percent of people are genuinely trying to get on and trying to live within the bounds of what they know is right. But there's always some people that make a fuss, so they put in policies and procedures to try and control that. And what that actually does is then curtail the ability of the 98% to do a brilliant job. You know, the best they can do is mediocre because there are these constraints and controls in place that... And and so a lot of my work is to try and unpick that and go, well, hold on a minute. Why don't we just draw the playing field and then let people go out and play? Let's not try and control every moment of every day because that's causing you stress. It's causing them stress and it's reducing your ability to innovate and achieve something exceptional. Yeah, it's causing causing them and you... The, the bad kind of stress, isn't yeah. it? Not the, not the growth kind. No, absolutely. And, you know, what, why would I hire somebody and pay them 50 grand a year and then t- sit them down and tell them what, how to do their job? Yeah. I pay you 50 grand a year because you know how to do your job better than me. So tell me how you want to do your job. I'm not here to control that. And those are the kind of executives and leaders that create businesses where people thrive, where they have a culture, where people want to work, you know, low staff turnover, higher client satisfaction, all those kind of things, because they've built somewhere where people can come and do their best work. And it's that feeling of, or at least in my experience, in employed roles that I've had, and also in companies that I've worked with where I've kind of gone and observed how they operate, it's, it's um, there's almost a sense of ownership of all of the people at varying different levels because they feel trusted, they feel valued, they feel like actually yeah that i'm not just a um i'm not just another body here to go through the motions clock in clock out and all the rest of it um and and you just think well not only is that going to allow them to do their best work but it's also gonna uh, create a, a much greater sense of loyalty and a uh a lower kind of turnover of staff not to say that obviously you need some turnover of staff but um most companies it's <laughs> a lot of the turnover is because people don't really <laughs> want to be there it's way too high yeah, yeah. And, you, and you're absolutely right if i if i put high level targets in and say these are the goals this is what we're trying to achieve people and let you decide how to do it then you know on a day-to-day basis how what you're doing is contributing to the bigger picture of what you're trying to achieve as a company. Yeah. If I come along and I give you a, a, a list of low-level tasks that I think you should be doing, you generally don't have any idea how those relate to what I'm trying to achieve at the top level and, and how it contributes to the company. So there's a sense of purposelessness, rudderlessness to the whole thing. Whereas if I go, look, this is what we're trying to achieve, people. Go and do your job with, with that context in mind. 
you fully appreciate how the work you do connects with the big picture of what the company is trying to achieve. And therefore, there's a sense of purpose, which you know, makes makes the daily work so much more interesting. And with that, I mean, the word there, purpose, is so vital when it comes to an overall sense of well-being and it ties in you know we always think about fitness in terms of most people think about it in the context of physical fitness for example Mm. Um, but even then it's most people are thinking about right what am I eating how much exercise am I doing all of this kind of stuff but in there's so many more layers to it and I think that it's somehow at the same time a lot more complex than people realize and also a lot more simple than people realize because the actual the you know if you if you unpick it and you look at all the different levels and look at all the different factors that that can have an impact on your health on your fitness on your well-being there's a lot going on it's not just what you eat it's not just your exercise there's all kinds of stuff um but in terms of actually managing those things although there's so many different factors it's it almost simplifies it because you're not having to get obsessed over one thing like the perfect diet or the perfect workout program or anything like that. Um, But one of the things which kind of uh, is pervasive through the whole idea of this kind of well-being and, uh, and, and the quality of life that you get from being fit and healthy is the feeling of having a purpose. And if we are going to work whether that be at any position in the company, whether we're in a leadership position, whether we are just starting out, if we feel like we've got a purpose, so many other things fall into place. Yeah, absolutely. There, There is something about going to work and coming home at the end of the day feeling like you've done something that actually matters. Yeah. And if you, this is this is kind of the heart of the work that I'm trying to do. If you imagine every single person in this country went to work in a place where they were cared for, they had autonomy in their work, and they came home at the end of the day feeling like they'd done something worthwhile. Imagine the mood of the nation and yeah. the transformative power that would have on how we interact and communities and parenting and you know marriages, all that, you know, the health of the nation just generally. Yeah, it would be transformative. Yeah. And that is so, so important that people actually come home at the end of the day feeling satisfied that they've done something worthwhile and they've done a good day's work for a good day's pay. Yeah, because people take, like you were saying about, you know, parenting and, and relationships and stuff like that. You know, people do, they, cut, they, they come home and they, they take out their workplace stress. Yeah. Uh, or, or purposelessness, as you said. <laughs> they, take, they take that out on the people closest to them. And this isn't a, this isn't a dig at people doing that because we all, we've all done it. And the reason we do it is because we feel safe with the people that are closest to us. We feel safe enough to be honest with them about how we're feeling. We don't go and take it out. I'm saying it's not necessarily a healthy way of, of dealing with those emotions. Um, and it's not really fair on the other people. But this is why we do it is because we feel angry, but we can't, we don't feel that we can say that to our colleagues and we don't feel like we can say it to our line manager and stuff like that because we're scared of repercussions and all the rest of it. And we come home and we're just like, we're we're stressed, we're angry or whatever. Um, The commute's killed us as well. And then we start, um, you know, bickering and picking at the people at home. And no one wants to do that. And for the most part, it's not because they're unhappy at home. It's just because, again, the, the emotional side of work is spilling over into home life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm exactly the same. You know, when I'm on a tight deadline, 
even when I come home from work, I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to get this done? Have I got enough time to get this done? Who do I need to talk to if I haven't got enough time? And it's, you know, even at the dinner table or in the evening, that's all going on in my head. There's a, there's a great cartoon. I don't know whether you've ever been involved in, in technical development, but there's a great cartoon for, for those people that are, most people will get it, but there's a, there's, there's a husband and wife lying next to each other in bed, kind of backs to each other, facing away, obviously had an argument. And there's a speech bubble above, above the wife going, he hasn't spoken to me all evening. What's wrong? I must have done something really wrong. I wonder if he still loves me. I think, and it goes on and on and on. And then the other speech bubble, there's the bloke, and above it says, "Why doesn't my code work?" <laughs> and <it's> like, <laughs> and yeah. even something as simple as that can have an impact. That there's something there that's constantly occupying my mind and my thought, and that impacts relationships and relationships with my kids. Yeah, yeah. I think that that cartoon is, it really does sum it up. And it's like, you could replace that with anything, couldn't you? You could replace that, why doesn't my code work with anything specific to any particular business, whether it's... um, I wonder if they'll deliver tomorrow. Yeah, why didn't they reply to my email? Yeah, you know, like, did I, did I word something wrong? Why did I, like, and, and then there are bigger things as well, like why did someone else get the promotion rather than me? Or why did this yeah. happen? You know, there's, there's so many things that you could replace that, that, that thought bubble with. Yeah, and even simple things like I, I saw Brian in the manager's office today. I wonder what that was about. Yeah. And it could be totally innocuous. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that this is the thing where, um, where we, we add stories to everything which happens, don't we? We add kind of our own um, interpretations yeah. Yeah. on top of the facts, and so the the reality, the facts, they are they are what they are. Um, but then the story we tell ourselves about that really depends on how we're feeling about the environment that we're in. And so, mm. if it's work stuff, if it's a if it's a work environment that we feel a bit uncertain of, and we feel like we're not really sure you know why we're there or what we're doing or you know all of those kinds of things which you've said can be um can be removed by actually just having a clear purpose rather than micromanaging all of those things are going to add a they're gonna it's it's gonna be a filter through which you see everything which happens yeah absolutely and this comes down to again the the real desperate need for leaders to build a safe space in their you know it's what we call a psychologically safe space and this is what culture does define the rules of the game define the playing field and allow people to know that it's safe to play within those rules and make mistakes yeah. or get things wrong and then yeah. we stop worrying about all this other stuff it's um i don't know whether you when you're in a new group and you've you kind of you're around a, uh, a bunch of new people trying to do a task if you're anything like me, you're sitting there going, well, who's in charge here? What does that mean when he says that? Where do I fit in? Am I happy with the place that I fit in? There's all this group dynamics going on in your head. And essentially, there's a there's an experiment that a guy called Pete Skillman did where he gathers groups of four people um, to do a task. And the simple task is build a pyramid with 20 sticks of spaghetti, one roll of tape, a ball of string, and a marshmallow. Right. And you've got to build the tallest tower you can get. And he compares lots of different groups from... Four, four CEOs, uh, business uh, students, engineers, lawyers from all different walks of life, from all different countries, and also gets um, four uh, five-year-olds, five and six-year-olds to do the same thing. And almost without exception, the five-year-olds outperform all the other groups because they don't care about group dynamics. Yeah. They're not worried about all this other crap going on around that who's in charge, what do I do, Is what's my role in this group, should I say something, if I, if I say something will people think I'm pushy, if I don't say something will people think I'm not in charge, all that kind of thing. 
Whereas the kids are just sticking stuff together. And without, <laughs> exception, without exception, they build taller towers than everybody else in this experiment because it's safe as yeah. far as they're concerned. And that's what defining and building culture does. It says, look, here's the rules of the game. Here are the things that are important to us. Don't, don't contravene those. But within that playing field, off you go. Go build and make mistakes and do what you like. And when we're in that space, it silences that little voice in the back of your head and allows us to do our best work. Where do you think and why um, we lose that? So obviously you're saying these kids always have this kind of um, almost without exception better results in things like that because of the lack of, well, I guess politics for the for want of a better word. Exactly. There is one exception that I probably have to point out and that's the civil engineers. But in my book, they, they had a massively unfair advantage so I yeah. don't count them. No, that's... Uh, that's uh, <laughs> there's a skew there, isn't there? They're an outlier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where yeah, where do you think that's lost? What do you, what at what point um, is it a gradual thing? Is it a, like what is it? I'm going to say I'm going to make a blanket general statement that isn't true at all. Okay. Um, I'm going to say high school. Okay. Um, but it it kind of makes the point that actually once people start to understand their place in the world. And we get to high school and we start to see hierarchies, don't we? Yeah, true. We start to see who's in charge and who's not, who's better and who's not. And we start to compare ourselves. And as parents, we have to work really hard at helping our kids not to worry about that comparison. Okay. But it's there. Once we start to make those comparisons, all this stuff kicks in. And it, it takes an awful lot and an awful lot of confidence and resilience as a human to to kind of bypass all that and 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 not have to worry about any of that. It's it's kind of it's given me flashbacks to to school, and I'm just kind of thinking about what what life was like and how kind of those I guess neuroses might be a strong word, but um, <laughs> it's but, not far off though. No, it's, it it's isn't, is it? <laughs> um, and I'm thinking, so primary school is very um, much more free form in a lot of ways, even when they start doing the kind of. Uh, you know, the first first reception, kind of early years, foundation, that kind of stuff is all very play-based. Um, yeah. Some countries, they keep that up until like, you know, seven, eight years old, which uh, like in the Scandinavian countries, and that mm. ends up with them actually having tremendous results in um, in kind of literacy and numeracy and stuff like that. But we obviously bring in a bit more structure um, at kind of year one and they're sat and they're doing lessons. Um, but it's still more free in terms of the social, well, hierarchies, like you said. Um, and then at secondary school, it's, I, I think it, obviously it gradually changes and it gradually kind of increases, but I can remember, um, going from the little village primary school that I used to go to, um, and then started at a secondary school, which was uh, in a nearby town and I had to get the bus, I had to get on one of the school coaches kind of thing. And there's a hierarchy on the school coach, isn't there? Yeah, you know, on the, the bus on the way to school. Yeah, before, exactly. before you get there, you're, you're in trouble. The kids who sit at the back of the bus are in charge. Yeah. And you just think, actually, when you start when you start looking at this and you kind of go, okay, this was my first uh, foray into the world of trying to look good in front of certain people. Yeah. And the worry of making mistakes, the fear of making mistakes... Um, through embarrassment and through kind of the worry of being um, ostracized or people are they going to judge me for this or somehow this is going to affect uh, my progress socially through through school if I make these kind of 
this singular mistake. Yep. And it's never actually the reality because, you know, most people care a lot less about what you do than you do. Um, no one's really watching you as closely as you think they are. But I guess at that point when I was 11 years old, that was that was my, f- or not ne- not necessarily my first experience, but one of the first experiences where that became a regular thing. Yeah, and uh, I, I mean, I look at my daughter and it probably started as early as year three and four that they're comparing each other and how good they are in certain subjects. Yeah. And it, you know, so it does happen. But there is this, there is this protectiveness about our status and losing our status and there's a stress about where we fit in in that status and can we maintain that status that is and it, it it's really quite a stressful period that actually how do we protect that and what does it mean and who's in charge and am i in charge and i think i should be in charge but if i push myself forward everybody's going to hate me mm. and and like you say you know nobody's watching you that closely at all most people don't really care no, they've got their because they're all worried about the same stuff. Yeah, you know exactly. the exact same shit that you're worried about is going on in their head. Yeah, and so they're not looking at you and going, "Oh, you know, Ben made this mistake." They're going, "Oh, I made this mistake." They're co- totally fixated most of the time on their own mistakes or their yeah. own potential mistakes or their own kind of <laughs> like. The, the things they think are mistakes but weren't necessarily you know all the things that that that's that's going that are going on inside your head are likely to be going on inside their head as well in terms of people who are in a position of kind of you know leadership within a company whether they're um you know an hr director or a chief people officer or anyone who's got kind of responsibility for looking after a group of people is there is there an easy way to help people escape from that trap or is it is it a bit more complicated is there not is there no one singular answer um it's, it's massively contextual yeah of course um because in certain circumstances making a mistake means people die yeah in other circumstances making a mistake means you'd drop something on the floor that can be cleaned up yeah you know <laughs> so it, it, it is massively contextual but the bottom line is People have to feel free to make mistakes and not feel that that affects their status yeah. or affects their place in the hierarchy. Or And that comes from leaders just reminding them, that was brilliant, well done, that was really good. Oh, that didn't work, did it? Why didn't that work? You know, and actually putting themselves in that place where they're, they're able to kind of encourage and create a space where people don't need to worry about how what they do is going to work out. So a big part of that, is the kind of response to uh, the response to mistakes, the response to apparent failures, yeah. rather than it being, um, you know, not punished, but you know that kind of even if it's even if the people feel emotionally punished or um, reprimanded for that mistake, switching that on its head and going right, okay, what's the what's the kind of what's the lesson and kind of focusing on the growth and the movement forwards rather than getting hung up on that on that mistake unless of course like you said it was a catastrophic mistake which which needs to be dealt with and it was done through carelessness rather than anything else and that and that's it you know if we know what's important and where the you know where the boundaries of the playing field are if you make a mistake within the playing field with the right intent you know we'll clear it up we'll sort it well done for trying something that failed 
if you contravene one of our values, if you cross a line that everybody in this organization knows you do not cross, that's a whole different matter because that's not a mistake. That's a deliberate stepping out of bounds. Whereas if you make a mistake for trying something for the right reasons, actually, you know, we're going to praise that. We're going to do some training to make sure those mis everybody understands what happened and, we, you know, we operate best practice. But actually, we're going to reward you for, for trying something that hasn't been tried for the right reasons. So the, the rules, essentially, the kind of the laws, the unbreakable commandments should be the company values rather than the kind of the, the detailed um, operational stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are the non-negotiables. And actually, what you've got is you cannot, you, what you can't do as a leader is you can't prescribe and describe every situation that your staff are going to find themselves in with customers or with suppliers and, you know, and, and dictate every single action that needs to happen. You've got to trust them. Yeah. So you've got to be really clear on what the lines that they must not cross are. Yeah. And then let them play within that space. Yeah, because then, like you said, if they come up into a a, a kind of a, something's going on, a situation is is arising which was not in the handbook. Yeah. They can use those basic and memorable uh, guidelines to create their own solution rather than. Yeah flicking through and they're like page 372 it's not on here um they, you know yeah. they, they've got that they've got that scope to just go right okay if i am going to embody this this and this um how would i how would i solve this problem yeah absolutely and a great example is um ritz carlton hotels okay they have a policy of anybody can spend up to two thousand dollars per guest stay to solve problems okay don't have to ask. You don't have to get permission. Yes, we'll keep an eye on what it's being spent on and we may look at areas to do training and after the fact, we'll examine why it was spent and what went wrong and what we can do to stop that going wrong next time. But if there's a problem, can't flip and fix it. There's some money. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's that feeling of being trusted. It seems to be, uh, I guess, there's a lot of things which come across to me as being a bit one way when it comes yep. to trust and loyalty and all the rest of it. Like you, a lot of companies who maybe have lost their way a little bit, they expect their staff to be loyal, but they aren't <laughs> necessarily embodying that loyalty back yeah, the other way. Absolutely, absolutely. And the trust thing is a big part of that, isn't it? Because it's like, if, if you feel like your line manager and the senior management and stuff like that trust you enough to say, like you've got... 2000 bucks to go to, to to fix this problem i trust you with that amount of money that feels good people like being trusted and that does a lot when it comes to that feeling of well-being not just the feeling of loyalty not just the feeling of hey i like working for these people because they actually value me but when you go home your uh, and like your like we said before your relationships your family life your hobbies as well your friendships you're not burning out with like worry and stress about oh god my bosses don't they they're not they're, they're micromanaging me constantly and they're uh, making me feel like I don't know what I'm doing they're making me feel like I'm useless um, not because they've said anything outright but just because of the way things are run um, so so much energy is sapped by that that 
yes, of course, you're going to have those kind of knock-on impacts on your relationships, as we've already said, but also like your hobbies and stuff like that. You're not going to have the energy to go and do the things you want to do, like go and play football with your mates or, you know, go to the beach or... Um, you know, even just going to the pub and socialising, you don't have the energy to do that because you just feel flat. Yeah, and not only that, when you do those things, you're worrying, in the back of your mind, you're worrying about, well, what am I going to get in trouble for tomorrow? Yeah. What have yeah. I done wrong here? Well, I'm, you know, you're constantly worrying about your job. And trust is so important. Patrick Lencioni has a, a programme called The Five Dysfunctions of Team. The first dysfunction is about lack of trust because everything else is built on that. If you haven't got trust, you can't have conflict. And without conflict, you can't get robust quality decisions because you haven't argued out all the points. You haven't, people haven't been able to disagree and question. And, and so you, you don't make robust decisions. And without robust decisions, you're not going to get commitment from people. People aren't going to buy into them unless they've been challenged and put through the ringer. And without commitment... You, you can't have accountability. You know, yeah. if people aren't committed, how are you going to say, well, you should have done that? You say, well, yeah, but it wasn't my decision. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You know, and then without accountability, you're never going to get results. So, you know, trust is the basis of all of that in your organization. It has to start at that point. And it's weird because, you know, we go out every day and we drive in cars and we trust that other road users are going to obey the signs yeah. and the signals and not crash into us. And yet we go to work and we worry about our boss who we happen to know. You know, it's, it's weird. It is, it is. And I think that the, the thing that we... <laughs> it always comes back to the fact that humans are... They... they humans are weird, aren't they? Like, I mean, there's no... <laughs> I was trying to think of the monkeys. best way to put it. <laughs> humans are weird and we've got to... The more we can understand ourselves and other people and almost have that... Um, allow that flexibility and allow those kind of a, a bit less rigidity around our expectations of people yeah and go okay well everyone has these hang-ups everyone to, to a degree you know everyone has different hang-ups but they're kind of usually rooted in the same kinds of things yeah um, and if we understand that we are inherently emotional we're not robotic um we can work with that rather than trying to fight against it constantly like, i'm a big fan of being rational like not because I don't value my emotions, but because I know that my emotions make terrible decisions. Yeah. And um, like, you know, I've got, a, I've got a great track record of making terrible emotional decisions with, you know, whether it's with money, whether it's with um, things I've said, you know, you just, you say there's something on the spur of the moment, you do anything out of any kind of passion, whether it's a, an angry passion or a love passion or anything like that. Usually, if you haven't weighed up the, um, the kind of rational outcomes of this, you probably make a relatively bad decision. So I'm a big fan of rationality. However... I went too far that way in the past. You know when the pendulum swings too far yeah. in the other direction? I go, right, I'm going to try and be 100% rational. I'm going to be channeling my inner <laughs> Spock and be logical at every moment kind of thing and make better decisions. Um, it doesn't work like that because you still feel the emotions. Yep. You still feel anxious and worried. And, and you know, if you're ignoring them, that makes it often quite a lot worse. And so... These days, I'm still a big fan of making rational decisions, but also with the allowance of going, I know that I'm not a rational being, and I know that other people that I deal with are not rational beings. So it's uh, it's more for me about being as rational as I can, but also allowing myself to feel all the kind of the full spectrum of human emotions that I know are going to wash over me at any given moment. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it, again, it comes down, you know, we've talked in about business and drawing the lines, say, look, these are our core values. These are the lines we don't cross. It's understanding that in your own personal life as well. You know, these are the things that, are, these are the lines that people shouldn't cross. In so, you know, within that playing field, there's, you know, it takes all sorts. It takes all colours and races and creeds and sexualities and all. I don't, you know, the rest, it doesn't really matter. You know, the lines that people won't cross. Actually, if people are bullying somebody else, I'm going to step in because that's not acceptable. Yeah. But, you know, if people choose to roll a blade on their hands to work, I'm going to go, that's a bit weird, but knock yourself out, mate. doesn't really matter to they me. They probably will knock themselves out, well, to yeah. be honest. <laughs> it seems ridiculously dangerous. Um, no, but I, yeah, it is that thing. If it doesn't impact on you, then it's, you know, it's one thing where it's like, if someone's rollerblading to work on the hands, crack on. If someone's rollerblading to work on the hands and they're knocking into everyone on the way, yeah. You know, that's a, that's a whole different thing. It's not because of the it's not because of the action. It's because of the values behind the action. It's because yeah. they obviously don't value you know personal space, personal safety, all the rest of it. It's not because they're rollerblading to work on their hands. Because if they were if they were walking, they'd probably be shoving into everyone. Because it's a difference in <laughs> values rather than the action itself. Yeah, totally. And that's it's so important that we, you know let's let's actually challenge people when they cross the lines. But let's give space for everybody to be a bit illogical and be yeah. a bit emotional and make decisions emotionally we all do it yeah you know and we all enjoy those emotions should i have another beer no but i'm going to anyway why not yeah <laughs> that happened to me within the last couple of days um <laughs> <laughs> it's bank holiday mate it's the law exactly. you have to have another beer on bank holiday that's an extra day off isn't it and that, the reason for that extra day off is 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 so that you yeah. have an extra day of being slightly hung over um, yeah, got, we, they've been shut for year for you know for 18 months we have to we have to shore up the brewing industry that's well, that's exactly excuse. it. I mean, I'm supporting local businesses. That's the way I like to look at it. It's a completely selfless endeavour. Um, absolutely. No I didn't, didn't enjoy it one bit. No, not at all. It was absolutely <laughs> terrible uh, from start to finish. Um, so I think if we, we we'll, we'll wrap up shortly, but with uh, with the kind of the final. Th- I was going to say the final thought. That's a Jerry Springer thing, isn't it? Um, so for, for the kind of the final... I think question- she should get back with Michael. No, well, there we go. Um, so what, I would, what I'd like to get an answer from you about is whether you are an individual and you're looking to kind of make some changes in your own, I guess, personal culture for, for uh, kind of to take what it is that you do, you know, the culture guy. Um, yeah. Your, your own personal culture in your own life and you want to make some positive changes and and reap the rewards of greater fitness greater well-being um and and all of that kind of stuff uh where would you suggest a good starting point would be and again i know that this is going to vary from person to person so you know it is going to be something fairly generic um you can make more generalist blanket statements if you like um and then the same question for someone in a position of leadership in a company or a charity or other organization who wants to do the same but from an organizational perspective and 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 help support the well-being of the people that they're responsible for that's a great question and uh, would i be allowed to plug a couple of books go for it mate um there are two books that I've I've written one from the perspective of individuals trying to do just that, and one from the perspective of businesses trying to do that. So for me, you know, actually, it's all about that definition of defining what are my values, what's important to me, what am I trying to achieve, both in business and in personal life. If you want to do it for your personal life, there's a book called No More Fear, 
Um, we can, I'm sure we can whack a link in the in the yeah. show notes if that's all right. We'll and the other one for business is a book called Culture. Uh, how to rid your organization of politics and build a high-performing team. And it, it essentially looks at both those questions. You know, how do I understand who I am, what I'm trying to achieve, and build on those values of what's important to me, both in business, in, in, my, in, you know, in the business that I'm leading, or in my own personal life? Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely... Um, so if you're listening to this, uh, I, w- I have put those in the uh in the show notes so in the description there'll be clickable links um as long as the platform that you're listening on allows clickable links um if not then the the words are there and you can always search for them and find them online uh but those sound like absolutely phenomenal books and that's a good way of giving an answer because you've given the kind of the general uh the general idea of getting clear on your values either as an individual or as an organization which i think is is so important and it is mm. the absolute bedrock of any success personally or uh, as a as a group of people is Absolutely. having is having those values in place it comes back to what we, where we started with congruence yeah am i living in that sweet spot of what my values are so it yeah. comes back to that you're absolutely right yeah. nailing it but this, this is this it's nice ben we've managed to come full circle and actually tie back in <laughs> Um, which is given the fact that we had not planned this at all, I feel like we've done really well. Um, <laughs> we're allowed. To, we were allowed to make mistakes. We had loose structure. We had our values, and we just went with it. Right. That's we kind of embodied the lesson within this Brilliant. very recording. I hadn't spotted that at all, but I'm going to own it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Pretend it was deliberate. Um, Ben, thank you so much for for coming on today and having this conversation. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, If people want to hear more from you or like find you online, follow you, read your content, watch your videos, listen to anything else, if if people want to get stuck into your kind of message a bit more, where's the best place for them to find you? Um, If you get on to thecultureguide.co.uk, I am there and all the kind of links to all the things you need are there. If you forget the website, if you just search for The Culture Guy on Google, I will appear at the top there. Lovely job. Um, nice and simple. I will put a link to the website in the uh, in the show notes as well. Um, so Brilliant. if you're listening to this, I believe if you're listening to this on Spotify or Anchor or uh, Google Podcasts, those should all be clickable. But apparently Apple doesn't like my clickable links, so you might have to do the Google <sighs> thing. Um, but, you know, let me know if it works or not. <laughs> so so Ben, thank you once again for coming on. Um, I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day and hopefully I'll speak to you again soon. Brilliant. Thanks for having me, Jay. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for listening to Fit to Lead with me, Jay Unwin. If you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn, come and find me using the link in the podcast description and say hello. If you want me to help you improve the fitness and well-being of your team and of yourself, let's set up a call. Until next time, stay fit, stay well, and keep leading from the front.